Well, we've come through Christmas and New Year. Uh, we're in a new year now. Are you rested? Are you restless? I mean, Christmas and New Year, there's a break, right? There's this vacation that we have uh, for a few weeks, some of us. Are you rested? Are you still restless? Or do you need a break from your break? Do you need a vacation from your vacation? Are you just as restless as you were in the Christmas season? See, I think there's this lack of rest because of the fall and because of the world we live in, um, that paradise has been lost to an extent, as we're going to get to in the book of Genesis, in which we are fighting for rest. Uh, We are fighting often against restlessness that comes into our hearts. And it doesn't matter how many breaks or how many vacations, it is hard to find rest. It's hard to find and get away from a restlessness that comes into our hearts and our lives. Oftentimes that restlessness comes from things that happen in our lives, things that we're a part of or things that just happen to us, conflict in our life, hardship in our life, unknowns that happen in our life, unexpected pains that come to our life, unfulfilled plans, desires of life being restless because of all these circumstances that happen in our life. C.S. Lewis said it this way, actually, he he alluded to something that we're not going to be quite fulfilled in this life, and he said it this way, he said, all the things that have ever deeply possessed your soul have been hints, tantalizing glimpses, promises not quite fulfilled, echoes, and later he says this, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. The earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy, but only to arouse it, here it is, to suggest the real thing. So, he concluded, I should take care to be thankful for these earthly blessings, but never mistake them for something else of which they were a kind of copy, echo, or mirage. See, the real thing that C.S. Lewis was talking about, I think, is what God did in creation that we looked at last week, that he set up this perfect place in which you and I, before the fall, could dwell with him. That was the real thing, but paradise lost happened in Genesis 3, and so now it's an echo, it's a tantalizing glimpse of what was meant to be. So my questions for you this morning are these, where do you go to find rest? What do you do when your heart gets restless? See, Augustine said it maybe best when he said this, our hearts hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. Our hearts are restless until they find the rest in thee. Today, I want to show you what the Bible says about rest, about how and where the people of God found rest and where you and I today can find rest. Anybody need rest Anybody have a restless heart? This is what we're going to look, like, look at this morning. We're going to see Sabbath rest, the Sabbath rest of creation. So turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, and we'll be in verses 1 through 3. Last week we looked at the God of creation. We said that Genesis 1 is all about God. Your creator is sovereign. Your creator loves and cares. Your creator orders all things, and your creator makes you in a unique way. And in chapter 2, what we come to is the seventh day of creation. So we're going to see the Sabbath rest of creation, and then I'm going to take you fast forward, and we're going to see the Sabbath rest of God's nation in Israel, and then I'm going to take you even more forward and see the Sabbath rest 
of the believer. So there's much to unpack for you today and much application that we can look at. So Genesis 2, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and we'll see the Sabbath rest of creation. Let me read it for us. Genesis chapter 2, 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. If you look and compare Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, the seventh day to the other six days of creation, it's very unique, isn't it? Think back to the other days of creation. What did you see? You saw kind of a formula on days 1 through 6. There was a formula where it said, God said, and it was so, right? He created everything by the word of his power out of nothing. And every day, God said, and then it was created. And then what did God say about his creation? He blessed it. He said it was good, and there was evening and morning, day one, two, three, and so on. You don't see that here. It's a different, there's no formula that you see in verses one through three. Um, Actually, if you look at verse one there, it's probably better suited to be put at the end of chapter one. Remember, we added uh, chapters and verses because it's a summary statement. Look at it. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. That probably goes there, but this is a unique day. There's not a formula. There's not even evening and morning that's mentioned. There's also no creating. That's what's been going on, right? In the first six days, God has been creating. The blessing is even different. Look at it. Um, there's something unique going on here. There's, let, me, let me unpack three different phrases in these three verses um, that help us understand this. Uh, the first phrase I want to unpack is from really verse 3, where it says in verse 3, so God blessed, look at it, where God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. Um, all the other days he made good, right? Um, but he makes this day holy. He sets apart. The idea of holy is sanctification. He sets the day apart from the others. So that there, again, there's something unique and special and different. But notice um, here, he blesses a day. In the other days of creation, what does he bless? Does he bless any of those days? He doesn't bless any of those days. What he blesses um, is the animate creation. He blesses um, the animals. He blesses um, man, and he says, be fruitful and multiply. Here's what he blesses. He blesses activity and doing. And on the seventh day, he blesses the day, a day of what? A day of inactivity, a day of rest, a day of stillness and quiet. Um, some of us in the room really like to do. We're doers. We're Martha's, right? We really like to do things, and we find our rest in doing. We, we find our performance before God in doing, but here, God is creating a unique day in the creation. He's saying, I rested, I was still, and that's blessing. For some of us, beers, that's an encouraging thing, isn't it? So he blessed it, and he made it holy. He set it apart. It's very unique, and then look at verses 1 and 2. There's a phrase that comes up over and over in verse 1, 2, and I think 3. It says, the earth was finished in verse 1. In verse 2, the seventh day God finished his work. Look at the end of verse 3. And, from, and so he rests from all the work he had done. It was done. There was a beginning to creation, 
and also an end to creation. After six days, the creation was complete. It was over. It had a start and it had an ending. You know, there's some things about sixth grade science class that have changed over the years in the evolutionary theory, but there's, one, there's a number of things that haven't changed. And one of those things that haven't changed in the evolutionary process is what? That there's not a beginning to creation, and creation is ongoing every day. It's ongoing. It continues to go. There's never an end to the creation. And like I said last week, whatever you do with this, at every day of creation, God is saying through the prophet Moses, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that every day clashes with evolution. Every day, even the seventh day, is clashing here. But the Bible is going out of its way to say that the creation is finished, that God started it and he finished it. That's not to say that there aren't ongoing changes in microevolution micro in our world. There are adjustments and there's changes and things continue to go and God continues to uphold his creation. But there was a beginning and an end. It was finished in the six days of creation of Genesis 1. But really the main point that I want to drive at is the word rest, rested, that God rested. And I want to unpack that for the rest of our time and that's in verse 2 and 3. Two different times it said that God rested on the seventh day. He rested from all his work. This is the word we get. Uh, this kind of a root word for Sabbath. Sabbath. It means to cease from all labor. Let me ask you a question. When you read this, cursory reading of this, what do you think? Is God tired? D does he need a breather? Did he break a sweat by creating the universe? By doing all this work in six days? Did he need a breather? Is that why he is resting? Because he's tired and you know the answer is no way. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He doesn't have to recharge his batteries. That's who God is. He never broke a sweat even after creating the universe and all that's in it. He never broke a sweat. Look at what the Bible says. And the other implication that sometimes people say, well, he, he created all of this and then he just left it. He just left it, so he rests and he kind of leaves it. I don't think that's what's going on either. As a matter of fact, as we said last week, that Jesus, the Son, God the Son, upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so we know those things aren't true. Let me give you some more Bible in that psalm if you want to write this down. Psalm 121. Maybe you've sung this song in a, in a worship hymn. I lift my eyes to the hills. This is what the psalmist is saying. From where does my help come from? And he goes to creation and he says, my help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. And then he says, he who keeps you will not what? Slumber or sleep. God doesn't slumber and God doesn't sleep. Isaiah 40 says it this way. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Your, the God, your God is everlasting. He's the creator. Here it is. He's the creator of the, to the ends of the earth. He does not what? He does not faint or grow weary. God isn't tired here. God doesn't need a rest. He chooses to take a rest. And so you're saying, Pastor, well, you've told me what's not going on. What is going on? Why is God resting? I think what's happening here is he's taking a whole day, y'all. He's taking a whole day to look on with satisfaction and enjoy the fruit of his labor that he is pleased with. And there's a sense in which God can do that because he's God and he should be satisfied with what he has done because he's God, that he can glory in what he's done because he's God. You and I can't do that the same way. However, you and I are made in the image of God, right? You understand this. When you cook a meal for your family and you labor over it for a few hours, 
and your family comes in, and you, it comes out of the oven, and it's beautiful, and then you, your family eats it, and all your kids say, I love your food, mom, right? That's supposed to be funny. Um, you get to enjoy the fruit of your labor. Men, you understand this. When you build cabinets, some of you are cabinet builders, um, you have a project at work that you finish, you celebrate it. There's a sense in which you, it's good to step back and look at your work and say, that's good. I was a youth pastor for about 10 years. One of the neatest things we did with kids is we would take them on mission trips where there was a, there was a tangible thing that we were doing. We were sharing the gospel, but we were also building something or doing something to where they could see it's completed. And so at the beginning of the week was pretty typical. We always memorized like Philippians 2, don't grumble and complain, because the first day or two, oftentimes, what would happen is, is there's just kids that are grumbling and complaining about this work they're having to do, and you're trying to paint this picture for them. And then as they go through the week, what happens is they start seeing. They start seeing the work of their labor through the week. And at the end of the week, they're sitting there going, look, look at what, what we made. See, they're satisfied in that work. It's cool to see that in kids. If you put them to work, if you make them uh, rake the leaves or mow the grass, it's like, yeah, did that. Awesome. You're satisfied with the things that you do. There's something good about that. There's something good about working all week and coming home on Saturday and resting in that. To sit outside and observe the creation and be thankful for what God has done in the work. To have a glass of iced tea or an adult beverage and enjoy life and enjoy the fruit of your labor. We understand this. But what does this rest in Genesis 2 mean for me? I'd say it this way, if the God of creation, who doesn't need to rest, chooses to rest and enjoy the fruit of his labor, how much more do finite creatures who do need rest, right, how much more should we stop and rest and recharge our batteries that need recharging? We need to create in our lives a rhythm for rest. Maybe just sleep in a little bit more on Saturday. Teach your four-year-old how to read that digital clock, and when it says eight, you can get out, right? Enjoy your day. Reflect on what God has made. We're going to get more into this as we move forward. So what does that rest mean for you? It means you need to build in rhythms of rest to your finite work. Because you're a finite being, you're not God, and even God rests. How much more do we need to physically rest? How much more do we need to remember what God has done? And this is what I think one of the applications. A guy asked me this week a question that I will ask you. A guy that is in, in my life and he has permission to ask me this and I'll ask you, can you be still and be quiet before the Lord? Can you rest? What happens when you try to rest and be still and think about the Lord and when you're in a quiet time or you're trying to pray, can you get to a place where you can rest? Think about that. So I want to fast forward in Scripture, though, a bit. The Sabbath rest of creation really shifts in the Bible to the Sabbath rest of God's nation. I want to show you this. I'm turned to Exodus chapter 20. I want to show you the Sabbath rest of the nation because um, what Moses, God is going to do is going to take this principle in Genesis chapter 2 and 2,500 years later, he's going to apply it. 
So I don't think, here's one thing that's interesting about the Bible, I don't see, maybe you can help me find this, but I don't see it, from the time of creation, right here in Genesis 2, where the creation is done and this happens, you see no indication, no indication that there is this built-in day of the week, Sabbath rest that happens until the law. We live on the other side of that, so we can look back at the Old Testament and know they took Saturday off and they couldn't do a lot of things, but there's no indication that between the creation with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way up to the giving of the law at Sinai, there's no indication that the nation Israel practiced like a day in which they stopped. And so this, I, this thing about Sabbath, when you come to the Ten Commandments, is a new thing. And so what you see in the Old Testament is in the book of Exodus and the book of uh, Leviticus. Maybe you're, in, maybe you're there right now and you're like Bible reading plan and you're seeing this. But there's a lot of explanation to what you do and not do on the Sabbath in the book of Exodus and the book of Leviticus, right? And so they are learning this. Here's the interesting thing. Um, think about this, that God in Genesis 12, he sets apart a people, He sets them apart. He sanctifies them, the nation Israel. And then what does he do? He plans for them to go into the land, the promised land. He sets apart a land. And now what he's doing in the wilderness, he's anticipating starting Sabbath, a set-apart day, Saturday, for them to reflect on him, for them to rest. God is a God who sets apart. Why does he do that? I think there's a lot of reasons he does that. But remember the day. There are all these gods that people worshipped. He wants the nations to see Israel and say, Yahweh, this is the God of the heavens and the earth. This is the one true God. I think that's what's happening, one of the things that's happening. And so I want to show you this. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. I think we have it here. Exodus 20, uh, 8 through 11. God's word says this. This is the command in the Ten Commandments. Where God comes to Moses, he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Sound familiar? Genesis 2. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath, a ceasing from labor, from the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, to make a servant or your female servant or your livestock or your sojourner within the gate, so they're resting. Keep going. For in six days, this is Moses, author of Genesis, for in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. And he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Sounds almost exactly like Genesis chapter 2. So here's what he's doing. God is creating a pattern in the literal week, every week for the nation Israel to practice in the promised land based on what? based on the first week of creation, where God worked, he created in six days, and on the seventh day he rested, and they set apart that day. So God's building in a rhythm of rest. So here are the purpose, let me give you the first purpose of the Sabbath in the Old Testament. The first purpose is this, to remind them of the perfection of God's original creation and the need for rest to remind them of the perfection of God's creation. So not only is it about physical rest, but it's also about taking a day and remembering what God did and who God did and enjoying Him and being satisfied in who God is. That's a pretty big deal. But implicit in that, 
Think about this. You're not living in the original creation anymore. Think about the details of a Sabbath day for the Old Testament Jew. It was pretty rough. I mean, think, think about the particulars. So implicit in remembering what God had done in creation and remembering rest, implicit in that is remembering the ruin of creation because you're living in it. They were living in it. I want to compare a couple of things, the Sabbath to the world before the fall. Think about what you do on the, what Israel had to do on the Sabbath. They had to remain in their dwelling. Was there any dwelling, any covering in the Garden of Eden? No, because the sun wasn't meant to harm. There was no storms and rain because you're living in a perfect environment. The Bible said a mist used to rise from the, from the earth of creation and water the ground. This is a perfect environment. There's freedom in the garden. There was no need for dwelling, and yet on the Sabbath you had to stay in your dwelling. That was a remember of the ruin of creation. Also, on the Sabbath, you couldn't cook anything. Some of you are going, great, I don't have to cook. You couldn't cook anything. In the, in the original design, what did you do? You went to the tree of life somehow. I don't know how it all worked, but you went to the tree of life and you got your sustenance. And you didn't need to cook. Because God provided, and I don't think there was any death in the garden either, and so you don't need to cook any meats or anything like that, because God had given them, in the original design, plant life to eat. So it's a, remember, it's a reminder of the ruin and what was happening in creation. They ceased from work. Remember in the garden, there was labor, but labor was simpler. Not until Genesis 3 do you see sweat of the brow. That work was hard and laborious. And the six days in the garden looked a little different of work. Look, look, looked a little different than what was happening by the sweat of your brow for six days. Right? So the garden looked different. There was work, but it was simple. The other thing that you had to do on the Sabbath is you, had to carry, you, could, you weren't supposed to carry other people's burdens. You, you had to stay in your dwelling. You couldn't carry burdens. There were no burdens in the garden at all. There was no burdens before the fall. There was no buying or selling. That's what, there was no buying or selling in the Sabbath day. You couldn't go out and purchase things. Man, you didn't need to purchase anything. The Lord was your delight. Do you see that? Do you see the contrast? So surely the Sabbath was meant to show you God's original creation, but implicit in that was the ruin of creation as well. There's a second point, I think, too. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, let me give you the second reason of the Sabbath. The first one is to remember God's original creation and look at Him and rest. And the second one comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 5, uh, verse 15. So in Deuteronomy 5, they're about to go into the land, and the previous few verses before verse 15, you see the exact same thing you see in Exodus. In Exodus chapter 20, you see a repeat of that, but you have an add here. You have one more thing that Moses throws in to remember about the Sabbath. And here it is. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land. Remember, on the Sabbath, you, were, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. So not only is it to remember the original creation, it's, it's for you. And the Creator, it's meant for you to remember your deliverer. Do you see it? You were a slave in Egypt, and God made you free. He put the blood on the doorpost and freed you from Egypt and brought you out of Egypt. God is not only creator, 
And that's why we celebrate the Sabbath, but He is a deliverer. He is a redeemer. He is a savior. Isn't that great? It is great. The Sabbath is meant to remind us that God is a deliverer, and there will be implicit in that there will be a final deliverer who will not just put blood on a doorpost to save you from a situation, but he will take away your sin. You're meant to see a picture of the gospel in the Sabbath. You're meant to be reminded as a believer in Christ that it's Jesus who takes away your sin, that you can't earn your way to him, but he has done something for you to redeem you and bring you back. Well, neat picture, neat picture of the gospel in that. That's something that you need to consider, that God is perfect. We have sinned against him and brought ruin to our own life. He graciously delivers us by the blood of his son, and we can believe that by faith. So, Sabbath rest, Old Testament resting, remembering a creator, remembering the ruin of sin, but also a deliverer. But what does that mean for me? I mean, I don't live under the Mosaic covenant. I don't live under Old Testament law, where on Saturday I have to keep all these rules. So, so what's the application for you and me about Sabbath rest? Well, there's some possibilities, aren't there? There's a lot of things and a lot of paper that has been used, a lot of trees that have been killed over this issue of Sabbath rest in the New Testament, right? There's a few possibilities for you and me who live in the New Covenant. You see, because the Mosaic Law, um, this, there was a sign of the Mosaic Law. There were signs, actually. One of them was the Sabbath. But you and I don't live under that. So, so what are the possibilities for us about Sabbath? Well, there are a number of them. The first one is this, that the Sabbath is just remains. It's a Saturday, like it was for Israel, and we have to practice it as Christians. I'm speaking of Christians. Well, I don't know any Christians that completely um, maintain or actually practice that. Um, Hasidic Jews who don't believe in Jesus, they're about as close as you get of people who are trying to maintain all these different laws on the Sabbath, what to do and especially what not to do. Um, there are people who claim to be Christian who Say they practice on Saturday, Seventh-day Adventists, I don't know if you know this, they go, they go to worship on Saturday, they try to obey these laws, but they don't fulfill this fully at all. Um, I don't see anywhere in the New Testament where you see a day, Saturday, being the day in which we practice the Sabbath. You don't see it. What you do see, actually, is um, pictures in the New Testament about what Israel did under the Mosaic Covenant, in Israel. So in the New Testament, you see an explanation of what Israel was doing on the Sabbath, but you don't see Saturday being it. Um, the second option is this. It's now Sunday. There's a Christian Sabbath that's on Sunday, and this is where this gets a little hairy for us. Um, if you read old commentators, they reference Sunday as the new Christian Sabbath. Um, like there is a mandated day of the week in which you and I have to keep the Sabbath, but here's my point. I don't see anywhere in the New Testament where there is a mandated day of the week where we keep the Sabbath. Don't throw me out yet. I'm going to get there. There's a lot to unpack here. I don't see it in the New Testament. I'll tell you what I think you do see. You do see Sunday being practiced as the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day is the idea that Jesus rose on Sunday. And so from the beginning... Um, of the church in the New Testament, the tradition was that the church at that point began to meet 
on Sunday and began to remember God and celebrate God and worship God on Sunday. You see it in 1 Corinthians 16, that they met on Sunday, the Lord's Day. But they didn't call it the Sabbath. Um, Here's what I think. The third option is this, that there's no demand to observe a particular day of the week as your Sabbath. And, And that's where I sit. I don't think there is a particular day in the New Testament that the New Testament says you have to observe Sabbath, keep laws, rules, regulations on a particular day in the New Testament. Bear with me for just a minute before you go and plan to go to your dear lease every week because there's no Sabbath or make tea time every week. Bear with me for a minute. Um, I want to show you a couple of passages. I want to show you what Sabbath rest does look like in the New Testament. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 Verse 9 through 11. So then, here's here's what's happening in Hebrews 4, just quickly. What's happening in Hebrews 4 is God is saying about Old Testament saints as well as new, he's saying that you have no rest apart from Christ. You have no rest apart from God. You have no rest apart from Christ. And he comes to verse 9 here and he says this, So there, there remains a Sabbath rest. So there is Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Resting for his works in context is saying, you don't believe that your works save you. That's what he's saying. He's saying you're trusting in something else or someone else by grace, through faith. You're trusting in Christ. So let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Here's what I think that passage is saying. There is a Sabbath rest, but you find it in Jesus. By trusting in Jesus, if you know Christ, you enter his rest. You are in Christ. He gives you rest. That's what the New Testament is teaching. One more verse, uh, Colossians chapter 2. I love this. He's just spoken. Right before this, he's talked about the cross and how the legal demands of the cross were satisfied in Christ, not the law. And he says this, therefore, based on that, let no one pass judgment on you, have questions of food and drink, or with regard to the festival, or new moon, or a Sabbath. Look at this. This is important. Those are shadows of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So Sabbath and festivals and all those things, they find their fulfillment in a person. Not a day, not a place, but in a person, and the person is Christ. Let me try to illustrate this for you. I think I've got a picture. Ah, oh, young couple. She still looks the same, but I, I've aged a bit. That's the first picture that Melanie and I ever took together. Back when you actually printed things out um, and, and didn't do it digitally. And so uh, we weren't dating yet. We were at TBRM. We were counselors at TBRM. And we were hanging out in groups because they let, wouldn't let you date because you're supposed to be doing something really important like teaching kids about Jesus and um, caring for kids. So they wouldn't let you date. So uh, end of the summer, we started dating First picture we ever took before we were dating, uh, we look like we're kind of dating, I think. We dated long distance for four and a half years. I was in Denton, Texas, and she was in Seguin. That's like five hours. I, had, I went through two vehicles, little uh, rice-burning cars, back and forth, but I only went to see her, like, at, on average, twice a month. So there were two weeks between the time. I, saw, I, I talked to her on the phone, like when you had cellular phones and you pulled the thing up. Um, I talked to her, but I needed to see her. I wanted to see her, so that picture and others were on my nightstand, on my desk, in my wallet, in my car, and I would look at these pictures many times a day. They were pictures, so I could see her. 
We got married. We never lived in the same place. And we got married. We got married, and guess what? I didn't need the picture. I didn't need to look at that picture every second of every day anymore because I had the real thing. I got to see her beautiful face every day. I didn't need the picture anymore. And I think what's going on here is that the rest that you and I now have is rest in Christ. He's here. He's come. He's the fulfillment of the picture. We can know Him. We can rest in Him. We can take all our restlessness to Him. So on a Thursday, if you need to go to Jesus because your world is wrecked, you can go to Him on Thursday. And you can find rest for your soul with Jesus anytime you want. Before you go to the dear least, before you book tea times every Sunday on Sunday morning, because I'm saying Sunday, Sunday is not the Sabbath, I want you to hear this. There are New Testament commands. Some of you need this. We need something to hang our heads on, all right? And I need this. But there are New Testament commands, right? About gathering together as the body. Hebrews 10, 24 is a command for the New Testament local church to come together to assemble together regularly. Don't forsake your assembly, which is habit for some, but come together. That's commanded. Hebrews 10. 1 Corinthians 16 tells us that the practice of the early church and onward was to meet on the first day of the week because that's when Jesus rose. And so that's when we meet. And so it's important. It's commanded. You need it to meet on Sunday with the local church. Listen, um, that is commanded. It's not an incident. This is not an incidental gathering. Um, we come together uniquely as a local body. And the New Testament says that we worship together. And there's something unique about that that you can't do at home listening to worship music. That we listen to the word together. There are people that on a podcast that you can listen to that are be- way better than me. But that's not church. Sorry, you're stuck. Um, We come together to to learn the Word together. We come together to take communion together as a local church. Can you do that with the universal body of Christ? You don't don't do that. You don't practice baptism with the universal body of Christ either. You do that with people that you're in relationship with and local body. That's what the New Testament says. So there's something unique and special and commanded about us coming together and gathering together as a church that's important for your spiritual life and mine together. And so are there two New Testament commands? Yes. And we practice that on Sundays, on a weekly rhythm. I think that is right, and that is good. It's the Lord's Day. I just wouldn't call it the Sabbath. I'm nuanced. Maybe that's a nuance for you. But here's the thing. You can practice the Sabbath. If you want to practice it on a particular day, you can. It just doesn't have to be on Sunday. That's all I'm saying. Um, if, if you want that. Here's some practical thoughts about Sabbath rest. In our culture, we have a five-day work week, right? Most of us. Most of us, not all of us, uh, work Monday through Friday. And Saturday, Sunday uh, is off for most of us. And so in that kind of culture, in that kind of rhythm, let me just give you some practical thoughts. Wake up late on Saturday. Use Saturday as a day of rest, if that fits for you. Um, Have your kid wake up later. You know, um, I'm, I grew up playing sports. I played sports in co- I played a sport in college. Um, when you think maybe your kid is seven, six, what's eight, what, however old your kid is right now, he can go pro uh, without being 
uh, in soccer every single season and every single week on a Saturday morning at 7 o'clock. I promise you, he can do that. So, so maybe you, you play on the sports team in the fall. I'm just, these are suggestions. Play on the sports team in the fall. Maybe you take the winter off and you come back to it. But build into the life of your family rest. Build into the life of your family like on Sunday morning a place and a time where you're coming together to worship, to reflect on who God is, this God of creation, this God who redeems, this God who brings rest. And so I'm not going to give you a mandate. I don't think the New Testament does, but I think there's some healthy rhythms, both that's built into Scripture and for us about physical rest and about spiritual rest that we find in Jesus, and we also ought to build into the rhythm of our life. Structure into the rhythm of our life. Those are important applications. But you and I know this, that, that really rest is about trust. Resting in Christ and finding your rest in Him is about trust. Like last week, um, I just got a new roof on my house, so I really didn't want it to hail last week because I spent a lot of money on my roof. Some of you have a roof, right? Last week, you're going, please, hail. I need a new roof. But last week, when there was, for a couple of days, hey, this storm's going to be really bad. And it, there could be tornadoes, there could be heavy winds, and there could be hail. Um, I found a way to get my truck into our garage. Um, I only have to be in there a few weeks, so I figured that out. Um, and then boxes are everywhere. Um, but how did you feel that night? It was like the middle of the night. I think it was last Friday or Saturday. How did you feel that night? Did you feel at ease, or did you feel a little bit restless? Because you didn't know what was going to come. And then... And think about that in your life on a daily basis, on, on the hardships that come to your life, the unknowns that come to your life, the health problems that come to your life, all these different things that make us restless. The way we rest in Christ is to trust Him with that, and that's hard, but to give that to Him. And so that's how we trust, that's how we think, that's how we bring our things to Him. Um, I, I don't know how this lands for you. The last three years of our lives have been pretty interesting. Life is always interesting. Um, you could come up and tell stories. We've had multiple cancer situations in our family. We've had adoption. We've had transition. We've had all kinds of stuff. And the Lord has packed a lot into a little bit of three years' time for us. And the th one of the things that I keep coming back to, I keep coming back to this idea that I find my rest in Jesus. And that hits me in different ways. But there's a song that's played on, on the radio um, that, that I come back to because it helps me recalibrate and think about where I'm resting. And it's a song by Unspoken called Just Give Me Jesus. And this, this hits different ways for different people, but those words often ring in my mind when my life is a wreck and I don't understand what God is doing and I need rest from my restless heart. The words say this, I work so hard trying to open every door. Anybody there? Search near and far to turn over every stone. I close my eyes. Instead, I find no rest, no rest for my restless heart. All I've been chasing, putting my faith in, let it fade, let it break into pieces. I need that word. Just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. Here it is. There's nothing I desire that, I can't, that can't be found in you. There's nothing I desire that can't be found in you. I pursue a lot of desires. I pursue a lot of ways to fix problems in my life, to take my restlessness and deal with it. But only Jesus can do that. There's nothing I desire that can't be found in you. You're everything that I've ever needed. It's a great reminder that ultimately I find my rest from my restless heart in Christ. 
Well, I've been holding out on you a little bit. I've given you three types of rest. There's actually, I think, a fourth type of rest. And it's the rest, the eternal rest of heaven. Hebrews 4 says, Jesus' rest remains. Did you see it? When we were reading it, it remains. It's not going anywhere. So when you die or Jesus comes back, you're going to see God face to face. There's no more tears. There's no more pain. There's no more exhaustion. There's no more restlessness that we will experience the fullness of God's eternal rest one day. You know who Joni Erickson Tata is? Maybe you've heard of her. Pretty prolific Christian writer. She's paralyzed from the neck down. She's written a number of books. Um, when God Weeps, if you're suffering, you're not understanding it, When God Weeps is a great book. She also wrote a, wrote a book called Heaven is Our Home. And in that book, I want to I share with you as we close here, I want to share with you kind of a story she tells and how she tells it about the Sabbath rest of heaven. She says this, I was sitting on the exact spot where my body will rise. Should I die before Christ comes? Resting on that grassy hillside did more to ignite the reality of the resurrection than hearing sermons or reading essays on the subject. One day, actual beings will return to actual graves and reunite and rise. And then, heaven. And then, rest. Not the rest of inactivity, but rest from the pain, rest from the weariness, rest from the disappointment. No more prying the world's suction cups off my heart. Amen? No collapsing in bed after an exhausting day, only to rest a few hours before you're up and at it again. Been there? There remains, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. This thought alone makes the earthly toil not only bearable, but lighter. Maybe the writers of the Bible, some who had scars on their bodies from stonings, others whose joints were stiff from chains that had been chaffed, perhaps they had this sweet eternal rest in mind. A rest that perked them up and quickened their pace. They wrote vigorous encouragements like, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. And seeing that the days are short, make every effort and redeem the time for the days are evil. Love this. The weary labor for them seemed featherweight. Featherweight compared with the glorious rest that they had entered and believed they would one day fully enter. Listen, until that glorious day where we get to have eternal rest. Your takeaway is this. You can enter Jesus' rest today. Come to me, all who are weary and all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. That's the promise of Jesus. You can find rest in him. Enter Jesus' rest and do it today. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for... These passages that remind us that we need to stop and rest. Passages that remind us that we need to reflect and remember and be still before God and remember who He is and go to Jesus who brings us, us Sabbath rest, who brings rest to our restless hearts. So Lord, I pray for us. I pray that we would strive to enter that rest. Lord, I confess that oftentimes I don't strive to enter Jesus' rest. I actually strive to work harder, to, to, to control, to figure out ways where I control how I can rest and I control things and I confess to that. And I ask that you would do a work in my heart to remind me over and over and over again 
that I need to find my rest in Jesus. I pray that for us as a church. In Jesus' name, amen.